0: Welcome to episode six of Breathing Room. I'm your host, Rob Lavati, and I'm joined in the studio today by Alex Travers. Alex is a, an incredible local busker, um, musician, and teacher, among other things. Really excited to have you in the studio today, um, and really just um, looking forward to getting to chat with you and getting to hear some of your work. Um, I know in catching up with you a little bit earlier before, there's a number of things that you've been working on, both with your solo work, as well as some things you've been collaborating on. So really looking forward to dive into all that and, and talk about some of the things that you have going on. So... Just a quick run through of what this show is about. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to see any of the other episodes, but really what we're looking to capture and what I'm looking to capture on this show is have it be a space where I can bring local artists and creatives um, and local human beings even just on the show Mm -hmm. and have them share the things that they work on, the things that they create, and also share the experiences that go along with the process, right? Mm. Um, so I, I brought this up on every episode so far and I'll do it again. Um, two years ago, um, my father passed away. He took his own life. Um, and that was really kind of the turning point for me when I realized that I needed to start having conversations with people that are both meaningful and I think helping me feel more connected. Um, so that's really kind of the catalyst for this show, if you will, Um, That's not the focal point. That's not what we're here to talk about, but that's kind of what I come bringing to the table um, on my side of things and what, like I said, has really made me want to continue to connect with people and understand and empathize with their stories. Mm -hmm. So one thing we've been doing at the top of every show, it's a little silly, putting some intentional dead space, but let's just take 10 seconds or so to get settled in. You can close your eyes if you want. Um, And we'll just take a quick meditative moment, get settled into the studio and get ready for um, the show to start.
1: All right. All
0: right, cool. One of these times I'm just not going to say anything and I'm going to see how long I can let it go. Like, damn, this is a long 10 seconds. So, Alex, welcome, man. Thanks for joining us today. Um, yeah, of course. Do you want to maybe start things off and just give us a quick run through of, um, number one, I'd love to know how you got started playing the violin, um, and if you could just give us a little bit of a rundown on some of the things that you've been working on lately um, and anything that we could expect to see coming up soon.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, I started playing the violin when I was about six years old. Okay. Um, I found a bunch of uh, instruments that um, my grandfather had owned. He used to fix fiddle, so I found a bunch of them in the attic. When I was a kid, my mom's dad, and then I just started playing on them without any strings, and they decided to get some strings to help me out with that and to sign me up for lessons. And um, I stuck with lessons from six years old till all the way through college. Wow. Yeah. How much of that time was
0: with one teacher, or did you really kind of spread amongst
2: I was with I had the same violin teacher for twelve years, wow, yeah, growing that's up, incredible yeah her name was uh Miss Jenny Zo nice, yeah, and uh occasionally I would go to strings camp string camps or have like you know a lesson with another teacher occasionally, but it was, right. it was like the weekly lesson with her, yeah, and uh that was before I went to college, and then you know, in college, you started having more teachers, as you do, and you get right. into the world, and you just meet more people, and um, and then your teachers end up being a lot of people that you end up playing with in the real world when you That's start right. to do a lot of gigging. So yeah, yeah.
0: well, shout out to your first, uh, your first teacher. That's way cool that you were with her for that long. Um, I don't think I've been with a teacher for more than two years. Um, just with moving around and a bunch of different things that are going on, but it's cool to have that one person that you can go to as a mentor and really be the person that you look up to and that you look towards for guidance on playing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. She she was really really great teacher and really strong too. Because I, yeah. I I know for a fact I was not her best student,
0: right? <laughs> So, what do you mean? What did that look like for you? Was
2: was it hard to get you to practice? Uh, It was really hard to get me to practice. Yeah, I think I went through. It's funny now because I'm a teacher now. Yeah, and then uh, I went through that honeymoon period with a new instrument when it's like it's new and it's exciting. I I burned through that after a few weeks, and I was like, "This is work. I don't want to do it." Uh huh. And then my parents were like, no, no, we made a deal. You're not allowed to stop now. So, yeah. um, I was pretty reluctant to practice for the first 11 years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, along that time I am, you know, was like internalizing like the scales and a lot of the fundamentals and all that, like reading sheet music and stuff. But, um, but like, I never thought I would be a violinist. Right. Yeah. It was very strange. I remember going to, my parents also always took me to the Triangle Youth Symphony because I was in that for a while. Mm-hmm. for, And that's just like a community youth symphony in the Raleigh area. And I was in that for like eight years. And I was, I remember going and always thinking like, man, when I turn 18 and I'm an adult, I'm not, I'm going to have free Wednesday nights. It's going to be amazing. I'm not going to have to do this. And... Um, and it's so funny how that kind of turned around. I mean, I really did love it. I really did. Right. Love it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's funny how that turned out. And then along the way too, it's like, I really got into like skateboarding and playing guitar and.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. You have so many other interests. It's hard to mm-hmm. focus on one thing and one thing only.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, what yeah. was it? What was the shift like for you in that where? You started playing violin. You went through the honeymoon phase. It was tough to practice, you said, for quite a number of years. At what point did that change for you, and did you really begin to enjoy playing and enjoy practicing and working through some of that discomfort and getting better?
2: Well, I remember a very specific moment. That's actually um, when I, I always tried to get out of practice by saying, I would always be like, you know, like, um, I have a stomach ache or I'm sick. I'm coming down with something. Right. Basically, the boy who cried wolf. And uh-huh. then I realized that maybe I should just not not do that and start to actually practice and take it seriously. When one time I was actually coming down with something, tried to pull that card. Yeah. Mom was like, "Absolutely not. <laughs> You're lying." Now finish practicing so we can go to your brother's play. Yeah. And he was at a college doing a play. And it, before the, before the play started, there was me splattered over at least five seats in the the audience when I was a kid. So that was sort of like, okay, I should take this seriously and be real (laughs) and, you know, just learn to enjoy it when I do feel good. So I feel better when I get better. Um, but yeah, so, and then once you start to take it more seriously, I started to get to, um... Because I started writing music on guitar and, you know, discovering new artists. And when you're at that age, too, you also, you start to discover a new state of being. Right. Um, Like, in music, you discover new emotions, you discover what feels like new universes, and they're all Mm -hmm. within you, but you're hearing them through... uh, the music of others and all these recordings. So you try to replicate that on your own with the instruments you have. And I started to realize I that became, that got easier and easier when I spent more and more time practicing the violin. Um, so I got into the habit of binge practicing, which is when you get so focused on one thing, like the A major scale or something, mm-hmm. and you just play it for hours and hours and hours. And to you, it's not hours and hours. You lose track of time, you know. Um, with meditation, it's very similar to that. Yeah. It's like those 10 seconds, oh, they're longer every day. right. You um, get
0: into a groove, and you can kind of just keep going and almost transcend time.
2: Yeah. 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 It's nice to get in those grooves. Yeah, man. And I didn't start getting into those grooves until I was a teenager. Yeah. But, yeah.
0: It's hard. It takes a kind of next-level focus and... You have to push through those feelings of, man, I really don't want to do this or there's
2: anything else I'd rather be doing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You do have to get to the other side of that. Yeah. And the only way to get through that or to get to the other side of it is to get through it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah,
0: You have to push through that discomfort and just mm-hmm. keep practicing and put, yeah. kind of force yourself
2: to be there. And then, you know, that wave you get after after you've uh, you've been in that? Been in that state, and then you re- you come back to reality, and you realize like, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten. My bladder's full, and my back yeah. really hurts.
0: Yeah, ah! yeah, that's a good feeling. I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, it's like waking up from a really long nap. and You're like, where am I? Exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah man.
0: Uh, the most recent time I think I've done that was with trying to learn different um, funk stylings on the guitar. I just pulled up a couple different YouTube videos and sat there for two or three hours and just mm. just went at it. Um,
2: Nice. What kind of uh, tunes were you learning? I was just learning some just
0: straight up funk tunes, like almost like James Brown type guitar Mm -hmm. um, licks and stuff that if you're not used to playing in that way, you really have to pay attention Mm -hmm. to what the picking hand is doing. There's a lot of just interesting syncopation going on and things that you wouldn't uh, experience in normal playing. Yeah. So it definitely took all of me to like sit there and like take in what this guy was telling me to do. But it's fun. It's fun when you can, like I said, get in those grooves and just kind of unplug and work on one thing. Mm -hmm. Have you
2: seen that? uh, Did you see that Bootsy Collins video, the vintage one where he's talking about the power of the one? No, I did not. Oh, dude, it's so good. It's like a it's like a 30-second long video. Okay. But, you know, James Brown was all about the one. It's uh-huh. like you got to you got to give me the one. If you can give me the one, the first beat of the measure, right. the bar, you can do anything else you want for the three beats of the bar, but you got to give me that first beat of the bar. So, when he started hiring the band that became Parliament, It started off with like Bootsy and all those guys when yep. they were like teenagers. Um, they always did the power of the one. And just you can do anything as long as you have the downbeat. And that, like, had a big influence on their playing and it turned into funk. And that's how Booty Collins kind of explained keeping the funk. It's like if you can keep the first beat of the measure, you can do anything else. And the video is so great because he's just enjoying himself, having a great right. time. Right. And he's just holding down the one. And he's just like, and just like you know, bum, ba, da, 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 Then then you can do anything you want, man. Just got to keep the one. <laughs> bum, da. <laughs> and, oh, man, he's such a beautiful dude. Yeah. there's definitely some truth to that,
0: right? That's what we feel or what we hear when we're listening to funk. A lot of the time, it's that heavy driving force on the one.
2: Yeah, and how everything just dances around it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There is a lot of great funk music in this city, at least.
1: Yeah,
2: Um, there is. Have you been to the funk jam?
0: I have, yeah. I've gone quite a number of times. It's hard to get out that late on like a Tuesday night, but...
2: Yeah, but dude, so many people do it. I know. (laughs) It's so wild. I know.
0: It's like man, do we all have to go to work tomorrow or what's everyone doing? <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, no, funk jam is great. I like when they have the guys from the Fritz over there. Are you familiar with them?
2: Uh, not not really.
0: They're a local band. Um they've toured nationally a couple times. Um they're all they all went to music school together. Mm-hmm. Um so really just kind of technical funk meets this kind of alternative rock. It has like a heavy component to it. Are you talking
2: about the, uh, are they the house band that plays there?
0: They are one of the house bands over there.
2: Are they the one with like Phil on drums and Derek on trombone?
0: Mm, No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I can't remember the name of the singer. Um, the guy who plays the keys, he has a really big Afro. Um, it's going to slip me for, it will come back (laughs) to me, but yeah, no, they're awesome. And they play over there quite a bit. um, yeah, they have, it seems like pretty standard rotations of people that they mm-hmm. go through over there at Funk Jam. Yeah. Have you ever done anything like
2: that? I did. Uh, yeah, I have. I did the Funk Jam a lot when I first moved to town. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's, it feels like a lot. I only did it twice, though. <laughs> Those are just so <laughs> intense. Times. It's like, I remember, I remember people raging, having a great time, yeah. and dancing, and it feels like a weekend at a festival, but it was only two nights spaced right. out a week apart. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Any indication of how intense that is? Who'd you get to play with? I don't even remember. Yeah, um, But they were good. I mean, they were guys who I still, I see them all the time. Right. And uh, at the time I was doing it. Like, I was just new to town. I didn't really have any references or anything. So I was even just getting into busking. So I didn't know anyone or have any anything to do. I just wanted to play some music with people and to let me do that. But occasionally I see them now. But there's a few circles, I feel. I feel like there's a few different circles of musicians in Asheville. Like, maybe four or five different ones. And yeah. Like we all, like, recognize, I like, I recognize them, at least, like, everyone. But a lot of them, it's like, I don't know their names. I'm terrible with names. Right. But you ever get to the point where um, it's almost like your brain is running, is maxed out as far as, like, how many people. It can remember. It can remember. Yeah,
0: like, your dictionary is full. Life. Yeah,
2: and then it starts to associate like, oh, this face with this name. Yep. And it's like they put it, it puts on a like, total stranger. <laughs> yep. You're like, oh my god, it's Patrick. That's who, no, that's not Patrick. Patrick. No, no, that wouldn't make sense. I'm, I'm in Florida right now. That wouldn't. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I have no shame anymore about forgetting names. Like I will just come right out and say it. If I'm talking to somebody, I forgot their name, and I'm like, I'm really sorry, I forgot your name. Could you please remind me? Because what you find is, I think it's just more common than we would think. And half the time that you're thinking that, that other person is standing there thinking like, oh man, I forget their name. So rather than just like make it this big awkward thing for like half an hour where I'm waiting for them to say their name, I just, just ask them.
2: Yeah, and that's really honest, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's so honest.
0: And it's not it's not like I forgot your name because I don't like you. I just Yeah, <laughs> exactly. lots of names. Lots of lots names. Lots of names. Yeah. Whoever wrote the book on names, man, that was a long book. They should have shortened that book. No. We could have had like 10 names.
2: It wouldn't make everything so much easier. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I I like coming up with nicknames for people that I don't tell them. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a personal nickname that helps me relate their name to them. Um, like, uh, could you give me an example? Yeah. Like, uh, like Matt with the, I I can't come up with an example. This is embarrassing. I like to try to remember something about either the way the person looked that day or something they said. So like if I was talking to Matt and Matt was wearing a matte gray shirt. <laughs> I I got nothing man. I don't know. Pretty much it's just trying to get like multi-factor authentication going here where it's like I can remember their face and remember something about them and try to relate those together. Otherwise I'm going to forget.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well it's all association in the brain. Yeah. You know.
0: That's why a powerful tool for me too has been repeating somebody's name after I meet them. Yes. Like immediately back saying like, "Oh, Alex, nice to meet you." Alex, Alex, and say it like forty-eight more times, mm-hmm. and then it's in there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Just don't let anybody catch you saying someone else's name to yourself in a, <laughs> in a dark closet. Yeah, just like uh-huh. <laughs> Alex, Alex. <laughs> 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 yeah, I feel bad, Matt, because I'm. I feel like you. Uh, before we started, you said don't clear the throat, and ever since we started, I'm just I want to clear my throat so bad. Uh, so me too. The next time. um We see each other on the street. It might just be, hey, Matt, I'm sorry about clearing my throat, man. But I remember your name because of that.
0: Uh, It's okay. Just a little clear my throat here. Yeah, just get it out. All right. So, something that I really like about your playing and that I'm excited to see in operation today is that you often use a looping pedal. So maybe for those who aren't as familiar, could you talk a little bit about, number one, just what a loop pedal does um, and how you like to use it in your performance and what it's done for you? And uh, me just thinking about it, just some of maybe the technical challenges that come along with playing with a loop pedal and if there's been anything you've had to kind of work through or get used to.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, for those who don't know, a loop pedal is... um, it's a guitar pedal that will record the signal you put into it, so you can play a riff or a lick or anything, really, and it'll record it when you click it. And then as soon as you click it again, it'll immediately start playing it back. Yep. So it uh, creates this, um, this sonic background of whatever you played beforehand, and you can layer on top of that as it's playing back. So it's um it's a great tool for learning um like the essentials of like how to s- build multiple parts on right. top of each other and you're listening to nothing but a recording of yourself but it'll keep rec- playing it back like eternally until the battery dies or until you know the until you don't pay your electric bill and you run out of electricity. It'll just keep playing it back and you can layer on it as many times as you want to Uh until it maxes the pedal out, which I've done before. It's a lot of fun. Uh, What is um, that?
0: Like 20 different loops or something like that?
2: Yeah, it just keeps track of the data. So if it's like a long track, it's just going to take up more data on the space. Right. So if you do like a five minute long track, by the time you've added all the parts, that's like half an hour has gone by. Right. And if you can find a pedal with that much memory, like by that point, I'm like, dude, just buy a console. Right. <laughs> console at that yeah. point. So it, it's it's kind of tricky, but it it's an instrument in of itself because it's 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 not in addition to like the violin or to the guitar, or whatever instrument you're playing through it in of itself it is its own instrument. Um, so <clears throat> you can and it's not gonna really count, give you a rhythm or a beat, you have to establish that. So you have to be really personally accountable to yourself or your own playing. I think that's the hardest part, right? Yeah. Is keeping time and just making
0: sure that everything lines up nicely, that you hit the start and end of all your loops.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is, especially in the beginning. In yeah. the beginning, because, yeah, it's like um, you have to kind of train train your mind to have really good rhythm. Um, mm. But that's a great part. Of, but that's good musicality anyway. Right. Using it is, you know, being able to do that, I believe. Um, and on the other side of that, a lot of creativity comes from messing up a loop, from playing the wrong notes and hearing them back, because it forces mm. you to go in a different direction. Right forces you to think oh i was gonna go down that path but i totally just messed it up wait i can go down it again I and open make another mistake new door. Yeah. yeah and um you know it can sound terrifying but it's a great way to come up with new ideas yeah and some of the most beautiful stuff i've has come out of uh, a lot of mistakes on a lot of loop station that turns out to be like really beautiful like melody parts or right harmony parts that's cool yeah
0: how did you get started playing the loop, um, playing with a loop pedal in your setup? Was that really a function of busking and trying to make your sound bigger while you're busking, or what was the primary necessity?
2: Um, well, it wasn't, it wasn't um directly dependent on busking. I, I got my first loop station when I was in high school. Okay. Uh, I thought it was a really cool guitar pedal. I can't remember where I saw it. I think maybe I saw Buckethead use it, or something. Nice. Um. Buckethead or Sean Lane or some a guitar shredder like that. And I was like, oh, I want to get that. Um, So I got it. I used it a little bit to write some string parts, but I I didn't really take it very seriously. I really got back into it after college and after a few years in the world. And um, when I got into busking, I did it because, um, well, when I first moved here, I hadn't been playing the violin for a few years. So I I had lost a lot of the skills that um, I'd gotten in school. Um, so I needed a practice tool to kind of expedite, to speed up my progress so I could get back on track right. with where I wanted to be and the progress I wanted to be making on the violin and loop station is a great practice tool for that. Definitely. Like what we we're just talking about. And then I tried doing it on, um, and then the first time I tried doing it busking, it was like the light bulb boo, went off because first off I was like, I don't have to memorize all this Bach anymore. Right. I can take a break. This is so nice. And then, <laughs> um... I was like, and I can just play a few chords, and then it's like having a second rhythm section. It's great, right? Um, I mean, there's only so long you can do that, but um, it just became a really useful tool because I found I could um, learn a lot about my own playing and the way, and I could hear how I sound when I'm playing in front of people or on the street or right. in the public. Which you get to practice performance, mm-hmm. which is not an easy thing to do unless you're booking shows and doing shows constantly. Right. Um, and it was just great to you to always have an outlet to learn more and more and more because you learn study like classical theory like SATB or like how Bach writes like a few different voices, like a three-voice fugue or something or how he voices chords, you know. And then you can apply that directly to a loop station and use it as a tool to, you know, push your push your sound rather than just strumming the chords on the violin and making everything linear you can kind of think outside the box and build up counterpoint right
0: counterpoint and, experience and almost it. create your own orchestra in a sense
2: yeah and then once you get that going um and then you also learn how it affects amps and fidelity and why right. there really is no sound as good as a live acoustic orchestra <laughs> yeah. orchestra um there's only so far so much you can do with it. Right. Um, and like I said, it is a second instrument in of itself. So uh-huh. you get really, really, it, you go down that rabbit hole. And then, um, and then on top of that, because it just plays it back, you have to improvise. So you get really, really good at improvising. And, you know, that's something that I didn't have very much experience with on the violin. And I really had wanted to get that up because I was like, if I can improvise, it'll make my life a whole lot easier. Yeah, sure uh, thing.
0: So that and learning some jazz tunes. I think that will help with your improv. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's great. So I think it's a as good a time as any to jump in. Maybe if you want to show us something on the violin um in your loop station, play a tune for us.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that'd good. be cool.
2: How much time has gone by already?
0: It has been twenty five minutes of pleasure. Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah, it flies by. So um, yeah, if you just want to share something, we could spend a little bit of time talking about it. Is there a piece that comes to mind? Something that you like to share?
2: Um. Yeah. Well, actually, I'll do a loop for you. Okay. Um, but I also have a EP. Oh, cool. CD. I like to show you because yeah. now, also being as a songwriter, a lot of my musical ideas begin as loops, and yeah. then. It's always fun to see how they evolve, but um, but yeah, I still like I'm still heavy improv, I'm still heavy on the improv when it comes to to playing on on the loop station. So, cool. um. And your EP that's on Spotify, right? It it's is called on "Leave This World Alive." Leave this world alive. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. and that was all, rec- and that was recorded locally, all with local musicians. Nice local studio. When did you release that? Uh, I released that in October. Okay, so still pretty fresh. Still pretty fresh. Um, it was recorded over a year ago. Okay. Um, and the songs were written well over a year ago. <laughs> okay. Um, so it was one of those things where it's like that you get that tunnel vision on a project. Yeah. And then you get through the tunnel and it's like all the work is done. And you're just like, I'm just going to spend some time in the sun now. It was really dark in that tunnel. Right. <laughs> and then one day it turns into a week, into a month. And then yeah. before you know it, it's like I'm, you're a different person than he wore a year ago right. when he did the project. And, like, you know, I'm still proud of it and all that, but um, but it's funny listening to those tunes, and I was like, oh, I was in a different place, huh? Yeah. It's funny. But do you ever have projects like that in your life? Like, oh,
0: for sure. I, I think it's like that with a lot of my projects. I'm pretty notorious for not finishing my projects. Um, I have a lot of songs that I just started and never got around to wrapping up, and then by the time I come back to revisit it and want to finish it, I don't feel the same way about it. Either I decide that, nah, I'm not going to work on this one, or I find something else that I like to work on more. Um, so I definitely have that ADHD,
2: I think, when it comes to my song write- <clears throat> songwriting. Yeah. Do you ever um, find it strengthens a song or um, improves a song when you go back to it after you've taken time away from it and you feel differently about it, and then you go back to the material and you're like, hmm, I think I can tweak it just a little bit.
0: Yeah, Definitely. And I think something that's also helped a lot has been sharing those songs with people Mm. because often when a song isn't ready, we keep it pretty close to the chest and don't want to share it with people. But at the times that I have done that, um, I've gotten some really good feedback and uh, people have told me, like, oh, I really like this part, and it's a part that I wasn't even crazy about, you know? Mm-hmm. So just getting an outsider's perspective when you've been just sitting there mulling over a piece, I think is a really good good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And play it before you feel ready to play it.
2: Yeah, dude, that's the best thing to do, I think, when it, when um, writing music. It's like just being in, playing in front of an audience just imp- always improves. Always improves creativity. Right. Yeah. um, And yeah, I I know exactly what you mean when it's like you play something and someone's like, you think they're going to be psyched about one part of it. And then you're like, I really like that. And you're like, oh, that? I was thinking about getting rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where do you usually play your, uh, do you share your stuff just to like house parties or do you go to open mics for that? Um, I did open mics when I first moved down
0: here. Mm-hmm. I haven't done those lately. Um, for me, really, my primary means of jamming with people has been just playing with people at the house lately. Mm-hmm. So we have a little studio set up in the basement, and we'll just kind of sit down there. good friend of mine is a local singer-songwriter, uh, and I've been playing bass for him. So we'll just kind of hang out and work on tracks at the house. Oh, word. Um, would like to get to a point where I'm out performing again, but just haven't been there lately. Mm-hmm. yeah is a is it a he or she he his name is nate robinson he was on um, episode one of oh. a breathing room so you check him out the pilot episode. the pilot yeah he was the co-pilot but uh
2: yeah yeah all right well cool yeah let me get yeah why don't you go ahead and
0: get set up and um yeah for sure And while Alex is getting set up there, um, just for anybody listening at home that wants to check him out, you can check out Alex on Instagram at Alex Travers, T-R-A-V-E-R-S music. Um, and your website, Alex is just alextraversmusic.com as well.
2: Uh, yes. Yes. Alextraversmusic.com. Um, keep it pretty updated. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you do it all yourself? I do. Nice. Yeah. That's good. So, um, yeah, it's weird having your own website. It's very strange. It is. You, updating it yourself, it's...
0: Uh. It takes a lot of work to keep it up to date.
2: It does, yeah.
0: What platform do you use? It's a, I use Squarespace. Yeah, Squarespace. That's yeah. a popular
2: one to use for sure. Yeah, I, and, and it's taken me, like, every year I have to go through and relearn how to use it again. Right. Because I'm not terrible with technology. Right. Um, except for loop stations. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll find out. Hopefully, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh.
0: No pressure.
2: Oh, God. Cool. Can you hear that okay, Matt?
0: was awesome man Thank you. thanks so much
2: for sharing yeah, yeah that's that's fun. i did it for one of those loop of the days yeah on instagram yeah and it's great because like each one's i try to like make it up as the video goes along okay and, uh that one just stuck with me so i've been toying around with that melody in my head for a few days now
0: yeah it's amazing how much depth you were able to create there both melodically and rhythmically Using the loop station there.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like
0: each layer you added was just a really nice new component of either rhythm or melody that I liked a lot.
2: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's also one of the benefits of playing the violin. You can do a lot with it. Right. Very versatile. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of new stuff you can do with it, too. That um, They're always discovering new ways to play all instruments. But, right. Yeah. What is a new way to play the violin? Um, well... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, new in the perspective of it's a pretty old instrument, but this little chopping, I mean, just looping it with like a harmonizer pedal and getting all those lower voices in, Mm. you know, modulating the tone and everything. That's all new stuff. And it's like we're just beginning to scratch the surface of what that can do with... Acoustic instruments, let alone bowed acoustic instruments, but right. but I really like chopping. Um, it's so much fun. I got I got bandmates who gotta tell me not to chop as much because really, it's, it's a great way to play like the rhythm section and to get the acoustics. But it gives this high end frequency similar to a hi hat. Oh, okay. so you can get some really really cool rhythms in there. And it's really percussive, but you can add a touch of harmony in that. And um, let me show you what that is. Actually. Yeah, please do. That'd be really cool. That's
0: really percussive.
2: Very percussive. Very percussive. I was playing at one of the gigs this past weekend, um, out in out in uh, Charleston, I was playing and I play w- with this guitarist in the band named Dan Keller, and he's a shred monster on the yeah. jazz guitar, man. And uh he really gets into his solos. And my problem is I get excited and then I just wanna chop. I'm just like I just wanna chop. And when you already got a drummer in the band And someone else is doing a solo. It's really easy to step on their solo. And there's this one moment at one of the shows where I look over and I'm like, man, Dan's getting into it. And his head's just doing this. (laughs) And I'm like, he is feeling it. And then I realize he's making eye contact with me. He's telling me to stop chopping. (laughs) Because he's soloing right now. And then as soon as I stopped, he goes back to it. You thought "Ah." he was really vibing out. but I know, I know, I know. But he, I mean... Yeah, but it's funny because chopping is—it's such a peculiar, quirky little sound. You right. Know? But um, once you get into the chapel, it's just like, ah.
0: What are some situations that it would be really effective in a band setting?
2: It can be really effective when you want to add just a little bit of a punch to like just some basic chords. Right. Um, without making the sound too dense, you know, because it adds a lot more space. There's, it's not going to be as um, taking up as much. Sound in the room as just a bowed instrument, but okay. it's just going to be a bit more abrupt, yeah, and kind of like you know, bright, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's great for if you, uh, like, if you have just guitar, violin. I feel like that's really the best thing for it when right. you want to add a little bit extra oomph to the accompaniment. Yeah, um, but it ha- it's it's tricky to when you when you love just doing something because it's so much fun. It's hard. It's hard to. Put the brakes on and use your try to be tasteful with it because it's just like I want to add it to everything. Right. You know, Um I'm still in, I guess I'm still in the honeymoon phase with chopping technique. <laughs> you could say, yeah, where you it, just
0: want to pour it all over everything. Yeah, 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 but
2: there's there's some really really great folk musicians and folk bands that have uh, violinists who chop and um it works really really good for uh, violin covers of pop songs. Oh, actually. really? Okay. Yeah, you could see that. Yeah, especially a lot of the pop songs nowadays where they all have. Very very similar backbeats, yeah, like, t's, tahn, t's, right. you know, like that, right. and it's like you do that with the bow, and it's right. yeah, yeah, but it's fun.
0: Is that something you do quite a bit in your busking? Um, do you get into like the new pop stuff and layer that at all?
2: Not really. That's good. not really. That's you good. know, I <laughs> I tried that. I've definitely had gigs and yeah. residencies where I've had to do that. You know, it comes with the territory. but yeah. when it comes to busking, man, if I if I don't like the tune i'm probably not gonna play it
0: that's good you know it's a good principle to live by yeah and i've
2: been doing it for so long like when i first started i did some covers but i didn't do covers of like the popular songs because i mean most of the songs on the charts we're kind of living in this melody free age right now where it's about the groove and it's pretty far from a melody instrument like the violin like there's not a whole lot you can do with the top voice or the main part you know yeah it's just the aesthetics kind of shifted in that way which is cool man um are there some tunes that
0: you do really like to play? Some things that you find yourself coming back to you time and time again?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, man. Um, Pixies tunes. Yeah, I don't know why, man. I just love the Pixies. Fun to play. One of my favorite band growing up. Still one of my favorite bands. Cool. And I like those because people never expect to hear it on a violin. Right. That yeah. uh, occasionally, like a Nirvana tune or something, or like something by the Doors. You know, the jazz standards are always a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, when it comes to playing, like, if, I, if I'm if i performing in public, I'm, like, first off, if I'm performing on the violins, like, that's my voice. Right. You know, I don't want to completely objectify it all the time. You know, if I if that's it's true. my voice, I want to be as honest as possible yeah. as often as possible. And that's the best thing about playing on the street is because there's no filter. You can do or say anything. Right. Of course, anyone can do or say anything back to you. Right. But that's what makes it worthwhile, you know. Walk away from you. Yeah. Yeah. And you learn you learn a lot, too. Um
0: what's what's the experience like of of playing on the street and busking versus playing up on a stage for a captive audience?
2: Um well, it's harder to get people's attention on the street, that's for sure. Yeah. Because there's a weird psychology. I think if you're playing a show and people have bought tickets to it or they see you on a stage, automatically they see you on a stage, a literal pedestal, and they assume that there's value in that. Like, right. and they're going to pay attention because it's this consensus of they must have it together. They belong there. They, they belong there. Yeah. You know, and we've all done that. Like, um, You know, looked up at the stage and be like, oh, those guys are so mysterious, but they've done it for the real thing. And then it's like you get up on the stages and it's just like you get imposter syndrome and it's like, this is it? Really? I mean, I'm having a blast, but. Do I belong here? Do I belong here? Yeah. 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 It's crazy. So um, there's on the street, it's no one isn't no one's going to do that. Right. You know, but that's what makes it more special, too. Um, but it's funny though and you know Abby's great about this too it's like and other buskers who get get crowds man it's like if you get a crowd it's not about getting that first person to listen to you it's the second person who listens to you with the first person right and then it starts to you start to see how that affects more people and people accumulate it's very strange
0: Abby can get quite a crowd going I've seen her with two or three hundred people out in front of her blocking off the street (laughs)
1: like (laughs) yeah
0: she sure knows, knows how to do that.
2: Yeah, yeah, man. She's <laughs> she's great about that, too. And the spoons are great because if you hear them, in, hear them in public, man, you can hear them from, like, a block away. I know. Yeah, so you Very hear audible. spoons, and it's just like, it, it just calls people. Um, yeah, but then it's like on a stage, too, it's it's um, like you, it can be more nerve-wracking, but I guess that also depends on the stage. Um I mean, there are some stages I love playing on, and then some stages I'd rather be busking. Right. You know, but different stages and different different place events call for different different colors of sound and and all that. Um, and it depends on the gig. Right. right. You know, if it's a, if it's a ticketed gig, it's like yeah, it's more pressure on the stage for sure, but people are going to listen more attentively. Um, or even house shows, you know. Which is which is really cool, but if it's like a free gig, like a restaurant gig or something, you know, there's still room for that art and that honesty there. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, you're just there to provide the the ambiance and yeah, it's really cool. Do you have any uh really of uh Do you have any of your favorite venues around town? Like, do you have any favorites? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What
0: um, areas? I like I like going to the Mothlight. I think they have a lot of good stuff over there in West Asheville. Mm-hmm. Um, especially weeknights, they even have really good shows.
2: Yeah. Um, I got those free Mondays. They have
0: the free Mondays. That's right. Yeah. Um. So you can definitely catch me at the Mothlight. One of my favorite venues. Um. In terms of the building itself, is um the what what is the name of it? Um. Over in West Asheville, Ambrose West. Mhm. Yeah. It's an old church that they renovated. They did a beautiful job. Beautiful, and the sound is great in there. Um. They don't put on too many shows over there. Mm-hmm. And it's generally a bit of an old, older crowd, but it's still a really nice venue, and I like going over there. I I personally tend to avoid the Orange Peel. That's mm-hmm. n- nothing against them or their establishment. Um, I've just found that I like some of the more intimate venues in town,
2: mm-hmm.
0: where maybe you're not going to see the same person who's performing over at the Orange Peel. But um, the Gray Eagle is another example. Um, of a, a venue that I like to go to, I just like that smaller room where you can fit three, four hundred people in there and have a full house. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and when it's like, you, and there's nothing like seeing an artist you respect and admire, and you're like, I could reach out and touch them. Right. <laughs> it's like they're an arm's length away. You yeah, know, it's amazing. It was cool.
0: I saw. Um, are you familiar with Charlie Crockett? He is a singer songwriter. Um, he does really country shtick Um, he was a train hopper and a busker for about 10 years before he got recognized and I saw him over at the great eagle and it was like that same thing I was kind of blown away I'm like man this guy is so talented and I could spit on him right now because he's so (laughs) I'm not going to but I could definitely could Um,
2: well you know at some shows that's a compliment yeah Uh. depends where you are in the world true True. Well, and also like all those uh, like punk shows and stuff where they like to spit on each other. That sounds
0: like a good time. A good way to get hepatitis or something.
2: I don't know. <laughs> like. Well, nowadays, but Yeah.
0: Um, are there any venues that you really uh, like to go to?
2: Mothlight's definitely yeah, up there. for yeah. sure. There are so many new venues now. It's insane. Yeah. Um, let's see. One World West is nice. I love the Sly Grog. Oh, yeah, Sly Grog's a cool spot. That place is amazing. That that place will always have a special special spot in my heart. Definitely. Man, because, like, the owners are so cool. Like, they're in it for just the right reasons. Right. They're so chill. Um, That's definitely one of my favorite places to play. Yeah. Um, And they're always laid back. Yeah. Always laid back. So, um, yeah, Sly Grog. Where else? Like DIY venues, I dig the DIY venues more than anything else. Okay. I think. Yeah. yeah. Do any um, come to mind? Well, aside from the slide rock. Yeah. Uh, there is um, where was it? There's this new building, and it's like right next to the Rock Saloon. That's right next to One World West, and it's an arts building. Okay. Um, and it's very small, very very small. And I was playing each other once and. I was in a duo with my friend Carly Tate, and um, it was awesome. There was this uh, band called Sunstep who was playing, and then there was this other guy who was playing who I'd heard was an amazing musician, and I can't remember his name, but it was such a. There was so much variety in the show. It it wasn't like a vent, like a music venue. It was just like an arts building, and we get there and, like, the show was like in a really small room. But there were like projectors going, you know, super dark. And oh, cool! Right on the intersection of Haywood and, you know, just a few blocks from here. Yeah, in the intersection of Haywood and the interstate. And then, like the we did our set, and then the guy who played after us, his set was playing to a uh, was a lot of spoken word and acting out. Yeah, really intense stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, or for a backing track with a projector on him the whole time, very very. Very crazy. And then after that was like math rock. So it was like you had all these. Very wide combinations. Wide combinations. Everyone's just having a good time. And it's in a super small room. Yeah. Um, But I I love spots like that. And you know, spots like that pop up and they disappear like that sometimes. So you really got to be always active and out and just talking with people and being social to find spots like that. Definitely. um,
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So if I'm
0: not mistaken, you don't drink, right? So you've been sober for a number of years now?
1: Yeah, yeah. I
2: am. Uh, August 24th, 2016 was my last drink.
0: Cool, man. Well, first and foremost, good for you. Um, assuming that was a decision that you had to make for yourself. And I can only imagine that it could be challenging at times in this town um, to have that choice where I'm not going to drink alcohol and to be in a place where it's so readily available and celebrated?
2: Well, it kind of was at first. Yeah. Um, but I never really got that impression that it was more challenging to quit drinking here than it would have been anywhere else. Right. I know Asheville is like Beer City and has won a lot of awards and there's a lot of breweries here. Right. And, you know, some of my... Good friends like brew beers, and it's such a great craft. It's so great to see how that's evolved so quickly. Sure, um, but no, it wasn't. It was like an issue because I always the support systems. You you can find a support system, and you know that helps a lot too. And you find people who understand where you're going from. And but there's a lot of people who also just don't drink anyway, right? So if you go to a club or you go go to a show or something, like you're gonna gravitate towards those people who are like minded in that regard you know, who like aren't, you can tell, you know, when it's three, a.m. when you're closing out at the bar, you can kind of tell who else in the bar hasn't had a drink. Right. And usually chat because you want to have a coherent conversation yeah. at that point. um But it it wasn't too much of an issue. But I also, I had moved here from, from Nashville, Tennessee, where I think drinking is far more celebrated sure and abused. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't really have, I think, a lot of, I never really got the impression, like, oh, it's so hard to quit drinking here. Right. I never thought it was, like, something geographical. Sure. It was, it was far too personal for that. Sure. Um, that being said, it was, it was, I did have a lot of skepticism. A lot of people said I would never get sober being a musician. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, just because, you know, you work in venues and you're around it all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like a superpower at the end of the night when you have to settle and you can still do math. Yeah, and I'm not very good at math, but so I'm you keep one, all of your abilities. Yeah, if I'm the only one who has not been drinking, I turn into Einstein. I feel like yeah, <laughs> seriously, yeah, yeah.
0: Do you do you drink? I do. I so I didn't drink until I turned 21. I was straight edge. I didn't drink, smoke, or anything until I was 21, and then three days after my 21st birthday, I had my first beer. And then, I think just went completely tanked totally downhill, since no, I'm being a little bit facetious, but certainly have like found my experimentation later on in life
1: mm-hmm.
0: and have found I think a pretty pretty healthy um routine, if you will, when it comes to drinking, like I definitely know mm-hmm. what my limit is now, um. Yeah. Alcoholism is something that runs pretty deep in my family, mm-hmm. so I think as I get older, I pay more and more attention to that and realize that there are components of that that are within me as well yeah. um I've definitely seen this little like tiny monster of an addict that's come out of me mm-hmm. um I think some people may know what I'm talking about, but it's just like that little addictive personality that some people have. Yeah. And I can see the various times that mine's come out. And luckily, it's knock on wood, it's been a little while. But anytime it does come out, I just definitely take note of it and realize, like, okay, that's something that's within me. I have to pay attention to that and not um, not let myself get into any just unhealthy habits or anything that I wouldn't want to be doing more often, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, that little voice, I mean, that's the disease of addiction itself. Yeah. And it's funny how it's like when we... we we might associate it with drinking or, like, a substance abuse or something, but that's really just a symptom. It comes from the same place and just has a lot of darkness. Right. That it invents itself in, in more ways than just that, you know? Yeah. Um, than just drinking or using too many drugs or whatever.
0: Right. Yeah. And I like I like the way that you put it, that it's it's a symptom of the disease of addiction, and regardless of how that shows itself in somebody, whether it's someone like me who I use nicotine too much. That's like one of my vices.
2: Dude, yeah. We are in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm go like hang sitting here kind of jonesing. <laughs> I need to smoke right now. Let's, oh let's get out of here.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. Um, It's like that, that could be the same thing as somebody who is addicted to heroin and can't get themselves off of that. It's coming from a similar place of, that disease of addiction, just craving something that it does or doesn't need, makes you feel like you do need it.
2: Yeah. And, and it's, and there are like different ways of feeling it too. Yeah. Because, you know, there's, there's the mental aspect of it, but then there's also the the physical aspect of it in your body. And sure. Those are like the physical withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. That people experience. And like, even with nicotine, you get that, it comes out in like temper or yeah. whatnot, but it's. Agitation. Agitation, you yeah. know. I like to say, like restless, irritable, and discontent. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um, I remember when I heard that, I was like, "Man, am I? Am I being alcoholic? No, no, no. Nah, I'm not. I no, can't be. Nah, that's wrong." Um, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, it's funny how it pops up like that. But you can you can also channel that. I find you can channel that energy because where where that comes from that that kind of the kind of darkness, that feeling of like, oh, I know it's bad for me, I'm going to do it again. Yeah, I know it's bad for me, but I want to do it again. It's like, I know nicotine is bad for me, I know it's a poison, but I want it. Now, that drive to fulfill that, that is something that I feel like you can channel elsewhere. And that's one of the best ways to turn something like an addiction or a dependency into a strength. If you find a way to channel it away from the symptom that it wants like be it cigarettes or redirect it and redirect it yeah yeah i i feel like it's one of the best things you can do and it's tricky because if you try to do that immediately without nurturing like self-awareness and just jump to like oh like i used to do a lot of coke and now i run 10 miles a day right why did i ever need to do drugs (laughs) right um if you try to jump to that it turns into just purely substitution
0: Sure. And now you're addicted to running 10 or 20 miles a day. Yeah. And you feel weird if you don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, Anyway, I feel like I'm starting to make less and less sense.
0: No, no, that makes total sense. And I I think the thing about that addictive energy is it's almost manic in nature, right? It wants to be successful. It wants to get what it wants. Mm -hmm. So if you can apply that towards something else, like that's been almost the manifestation of this podcast for me. Kind of coming from some of the same energy of I want something and I want it now. Trying to apply that to something that's going to be better for me in the long run than drinking or trying some new drug or whatever it is, you know? Yeah.
2: So. That's a great way to use that energy too, man. Is on a podcast. Because that's like nurturing real connections with real people. Yeah. Face to face too. It's been super
0: cool. It's been, like, on one hand, it's been nice to be able to capture this moment and put it out there for other people to see.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I've just been having really great conversations with people on this show. Been really, um, some people who I've known for quite a while and some people like yourself who I'm just really getting to know and getting to meet. So it's been a cool way to connect with people and it feels like a productive use of that energy for sure. So, um... Have people been pretty understanding in your life, whether old friends or family, when it comes to your not drinking?
1: Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, the ones who didn't. I mean, yeah, because if they, of course, they'd be pretty open minded about it and supportive of. I mean, they're if they don't want you to if they if you if they're <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. if I mean, if they're not supportive of your desire to improve your quality of life, they're not your friends. Right. Um, Which,
0: it sucks to learn that lesson sometimes. It
2: does, man. Yeah. It hurts. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it definitely helped, too, that I, I mean, that's why I moved to Asheville. So, like, my brother lives here, yeah. so I had a family member in town. Yeah. He helped me a lot. And, um... And to just be in a new town where I didn't really know anyone. And it was, that helped because a lot of the people who knew the other Alex lived in another state and I just never saw them. Most, most of them I never saw again. Yeah. Um, but the ones who, but I found out like who my true friends were because the ones who I spoke to and said, Hey, I'm never coming back. I need to go do this and change, change a lot. The real friends were really supportive about it. Yeah. You know? Um, so that was really eye because you start to realize who are your friends? yeah, you know it's like who is actually gonna you know show genuine just interest, interest in just in my well being
0: right and and the things that are gonna be the best for you, even if they're not the most fun for the friendship yeah. or whatever you know, yeah,
2: yeah, I mean that I mean talk about making some some like rock solid friendships or really discovering like how good some of the people in your life can be it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Friends and family. What has been your
0: primary way of connecting with people in that way? Is it through music? Do you have a group that you're connected with or um, like what's, what's your primary way of meeting people and connecting with friends around here?
2: Um, well, I mean, there are always groups. Yeah. Group meetings you can go to. Um, a lot of it is uh, I've been really bad about connecting with people over the past two years now. Yeah. Just because I've been so focused on music. And that, again, it goes back to tunnel vision. hmm And uh, that's something you got to be careful with too because that's a lot of alone time. Sure. That's a lot of alone time. And then you start to be alone with yourself and that self-speculation slowly turns into self-manipulation. That turns into uh, insanity. Yeah. And that turns into frustration and you get really irritable and yeah. that downward spiral. I find the best way to connect with people though is just go out and meet them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I got the friends who who are like musician friends who I m- make music with, and right. that's us sharing our our ideas, our 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 emotions, mm-hmm. who our our honesty with each other. Um, but just I mean, playing for people, getting to know people, but I always struggle to to really get to know people, especially in bars.
0: Yeah. I don't know how you can really get to know someone at a bar. Yeah. yeah. There's loud music. There are a lot of people.
2: Yeah, they're going there to get away from, most of them are there to get away from something. Sure. And it's like, how do you know someone when they're like trying to get away from life? Yeah. How do you know what they're really like? The volume thing too is really crazy. Um,
0: But I'm getting old. I like. I'm so sensitive to it now. When I'm out at a bar, uh-huh. and I'm just like, man, it's loud here. How old are you? I'm 28. You're 28.
2: Yeah. i oh, are not that old. You're I feel that. old. No, no, you're, you're not old. I'm just old. Crotchety. <laughs> you're not crotchety either. <laughs> Let me have this. Let me have this. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. No. But it's. Uh. I mean, busking is always a good way to connect people. It's. It's. It, because you are, again, sharing your honesty with people. Performing is always great. Um, but, yeah, I, it's funny. I, I'm just not. I'm I'm very much a homebody, and I think I'm in denial about that. me um, too. I'm in so much. you you ever been in denial about something that's such oh, a yeah. huge part of your personality?
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, you don't want to be a homebody. It's just if you are, you are. And yeah. you, you may have to work harder than some people to put yourself out there and to go enjoy doing things. But... I don't think it's a bad thing to be a homebody. I think it's just something to recognize about yourself and put in the extra effort to try to do the opposite action there and get yourself out of the house.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Did you, when were you in denial about being a homebody? Um, Or did you ever feel that?
0: Yeah, no, I think quite recently, actually. Um, I've kind of gone through this paradigm shift in my own life where I noticed as I've gotten older, I've become, in, I've become more of an introvert and I hated that. I really didn't like that about myself. Um, because I associated being an extrovert with, as a strong quality, if you will, you know, yeah, we're extroverted, You people like you, you're funny, you're easy to talk to, you're introverted, you're the opposite of those things. And in the last year, I think I've had to kind of work through that and realize that it's not introverted, bad, extroverted, good. It's, it's so much more complex than that. And you can be introverted and still really enjoy and make beautiful connections with people, but that's just not maybe your primary way that you show and receive energy. Um, so I think I've had to kind of accept that and realize that I need to take care of that part of myself. The part that wants to just sit inside and not do anything for a night, that's okay. Give myself that space and not feel like I have to be constantly doing something.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a routine that you go to? I think so. Yeah. I have a
0: pretty standard routine, like week to week. Um, Certain nights where I'll go out and do certain things or that I'm over here working on this. Um, So definitely try to work to have a routine that does get me out of the house um how about for you
2: um sometimes jams yeah usually um the cl- i mean when i'm not teaching at the academy the academy is nice because i have students there and that's like a routine during the week uh-huh um but when i lose routine i go off the deep end yeah man. like total like become a total hermit and just total lack of self-discipline yeah um but I also practice. I think I'm addicted to practicing. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah, that's a real thing. Which is, again, something that it's like, um, yeah, you kind of have to be alone to do. And I live alone now, and okay. I, I miss living in a house where you live with other people, and sometimes there's jams. And even though it might not be the most convenient when you want to be alone or it have peace and quiet you at least always have that social aspect right and there's the constant energy people of other people live in their lives it can kind of bounce off and i feel like that kind of helps keep you in check sure
0: um yeah living alone can be tough in that way
2: it's strange it was it's super nice but after a while i think it's like i can i really understand now when it's when i heard like oh humans are social creatures yeah for a while i was most of my life i was like i'm not
0: and now that you live alone you're like oh, I need somebody. Yeah,
2: yeah, I need someone who's not imaginary. Right. Um
0: But um do you have any weird weird things that you do at home? Like I talk to myself all the time. Like dude, if I'm home alone and I'm working or taking a shower or you name it, I'm probably talking to myself.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah. That have you ever been talking to yourself and you realize after what sounds like a conversation with yourself that you don't live alone right now and your roommate's in the other room (laughs) and they've heard everything you've just said to yourself?
0: I cannot say I've had that happen, no, I've not had that happen, but I have had full conversations with myself in like different voices, like voice one, voice two, like. So I hope nobody could hear that.
2: Like, are these voices that you work
0: on, or no? It'd be like maybe just my best voice to characterize who I think it is in the situation. Like, if it's someone who's annoying, I'll give them an annoying voice. Me-
2: me- 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 me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's funny. Yeah, the voices thing is nice. Have you ever? Um, I, I do that, and I'll try to sound like voice because I also like just. Go down the uh, YouTube rabbit hole. Oh and yeah, I just watch a YouTube video after YouTube video, and yep. I get really into interviews with like directors, and okay. musicians, and I'll start doing a voice that I think I have, <laughs> and then I do it for someone, and they're like, "Why the hell are you talking like that? <laughs> Who's that supposed to be?" I'm like it's David Lynch, man. What the heck and. <laughs> it's like damn it's how like, much
0: how many videos did you watch
2: i know i know it's just like dude you gotta you gotta get outside and talk <laughs> to people in person yeah yeah and then there's also the aspect of the more time you spend alone you start to lose some conversational skills
0: you do i work from home i started working from home about three years ago and i've noticed that my social anxiety has gone through the roof man like I really have a hard time in social settings now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I find myself really not knowing what to say. Um, if I have to work extra hard and brush up on my social skills.
2: Yeah. How do you How do you work extra hard and brushing up on your social skills? Do you force yourself to like go to, to to like go to house parties, or do you force yourself to like go to I,
0: festivals? Oh man, that sounds like a nightmare to me. Going to a house party—that's maybe my actual nightmare.
2: Really?
0: No, no, I think. I think I just try to be intentional about when I am interacting with people,
1: mm-hmm.
0: That focusing on that feeling that I feel weird doing it. You, um, just Just trying to acknowledge that I feel really weird about this and then getting through that feeling and nothing bad happens and I don't make myself look stupid or whatever the kind of worst case scenario is that you get in your head in those moments. It's just about realizing that you can get through it and it's not that bad. Not that scary.
2: Yeah. Has there ever been a time where maybe you haven't gotten through it? Um.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. There are like various work situations I can think of Mm -hmm. where I would go into a client meeting and like really just totally blow it. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a, that's tough to swallow I think when you really drop the ball in that way whether it's at work or in a performance like when you just knowingly screw up
2: like. yeah but there's a lot to learn from that sure there's real strength and in, in failure like that you yeah. know that's one thing I am um, I think people who are just naturally very social and like I've never had to deal with social awkwardness or social anxiety which I mean I just can't understand not being able to relate to that right that's such a huge part of it's been such a pretty big part of my life right um but just like if you've never struggled with that with the nervousness of meeting someone new or talking to a total stranger i don't understand like how how is it what where's the great. There's like a beauty in that. There's. It's really, really beautiful to talk to someone and then fail and then you learn from that mistake and you adapt and you change and then you go and you talk to another person and you have that experience of like, oh, I'm definitely not going to say this. Does that make any sense? It
0: does. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier when you're playing a piece for somebody for the first time. You don't know how it's going to go. It could yeah. fall flat on its face and it's like that in a conversation with somebody. Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of... um I don't know, it gives you a little bit of adrenaline.
2: It does, it does. And I, I mean, this is like, I don't like to work with people who have never failed. Right. And I don't, I like if i ever met someone and they're like, I've never failed at anything. And been like, I want to hang out with you. Yeah. Like I've, I've never, like no man, it's like you have to fail at something. You should fail. And the people who fail the most are usually the strongest people. Right. The strongest people and the most, and on the other side of that, some of the most successful people in the world have failed more than the least successful people a lot of times. I mean, it's such a wide spectrum of stuff, but, um, but yeah, man, there's beauty in failure.
0: I agree. No, it's a really good, good perspective. And there's something that just feels that much better about when you can get it done the next time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's always good to, um, I used to be a lot better about this, but um, setting aside something to do every day that I knew I would probably fail at. Mm, I like that. Getting into that routine. Yeah. Um, and then I discovered it didn't really help if you were alone all the time and um, easily depressed. Right. <laughs> but it's great if you want to get better at something. It's like give yourself a limit that you know you're going to fail at. Yeah. And then try to achieve that goal. And then if you do it the next day, man, you're going to build some calluses in the mind, you know, right? pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, it's painful. It's uncomfortable, but you can't really argue with the result.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, an association I've heard you made a couple times tonight so far has been between the idea of being alone and the idea of being depressed or being Mm -hmm. isolated. Um it's just something really interesting that I've been thinking about. Between the times that I felt the worst in my life, were some of the most isolated and alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of tying into that idea that we are social creatures and we do want to feel connected, um, it just made me realize how important it's been in my own life to make sure that I'm taking the time and space to be deliberate about making those connections and making sure that they're leaving me feeling satisfied. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if I haven't paid close attention to that, I can get really deep down the isolated and away from everybody rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, So I think, I think it's just really important to feed that part of yourself and remain connected and do things that feel meaningful to you. Course.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do I sound really depressed?
0: No, 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 no. Okay. N- <laughs> oh God. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. No, I think um I think I heard you use the word alone and isolated multiple times in the same oh, sentence. Oh, so I was okay, kinda of yeah. pulling on I was <laughs> kinda of pulling on that association there. You don't sound depressed. Oh thank you. Neither do you. Well you're wrong. no i'm not depressed right now but there's time there's plenty of time
2: Uh, these are so uh conversational skills we were talking about
0: yeah yeah yep 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 coming (laughs) coming out in full force (laughs) so we've danced around quite a bit um seems like we're doing pretty well on time here um I, i got a couple rapid fire questions for you uh-oh. Um it wouldn't be a looping violin podcast if I didn't ask you. What do you think of Andrew Bird? I love him. Cool. He, My sister would not forgive me if I didn't ask. She's a huge Andrew Bird fan.
2: I've seen him the past few times he's come to Asheville. Nice. Everything he does is so tasteful. Oh, it's incredible. I'm like oh man. He just um yeah. Very very tasteful, very 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 thoughtful, is the impression I get. Like yeah. he he's really about it and I'm I'm, I've never been like obsessed with him but I've definitely been bit by the Andrew Bird bug sure you know following his stuff from like Bowl of Fire to um back when he was in like doing the album wasn't Music of Hair I think my favorite album of his what's Um, his new record called I think it's my finest work yet that was the one he released earlier this year his full length album he released a Christmas album a few weeks ago called Hark Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's good. Cool. It's really good. Like for, I mean, it's a Christmas album. Right. But it's, I, my first I was like, oh, it's a Christmas album. Yeah. But then I listened to it. I was like, no, it's a good album. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. He's got some covers on it, like a skating from the Charlie Brown score and all that. But yeah, it's just, he, he does everything so well. And then his live performance, just the way he's grown with his band and his songwriting is so good. Yeah. His arrangements Just like, dude, the way he utilizes a loop station and the way his harmonies just flow from one to the other. And he always seems very humble about it, too. I haven't met him in person, but I've seen him on stage, and he seems like he's very, just very true to himself is the impression I get. Right. I really hope that's what he's like in person. (laughs) I would hate to uh, ever have that impression dashed upon the rocks on the shore. Right, (laughs) right, right. Um but yeah, yeah, I gotta love Andrew Bird. He's a huge influence. He and Reggie Watts were my first influences on the Loop Station. Very cool. Yeah, Reggie Watts is great too. Yeah. He's got some good stuff. Yeah. Cool,
0: man. So tell me a little bit about um Leave This World Alive, the E P that you have on Spotify. Just give me a little overview about what it was like recording that, who you worked with and <clears throat> Just your overall kind of response and how you've been feeling about the project.
2: Yeah. So at the time when we recorded the project, we had just come off playing a string of gigs every weekend for about a month and a half with uh, Carly Tate. Okay. My friend Carly Tate is a fabulous singer-songwriter, one of my best musical friends, man. She's really cool. And um, it was with her band because we were playing together all the time. Um, so we had just played some festivals and out-of-town gigs every weekend. And then when we were back in town, we were rehearsing, getting ready for that. And we had cut an album of hers the year before. So that was with Jack Victor on drums, who goes by Slow Packer now. Okay. I think he had a show at the mall Flight last night. Cool. Um, and then uh, Mike Victor, um, who was on bass and he also mixed it and uh, was studio engineer for it. And then uh, Zach Cardin, who now goes under the artist name uh, Southern Pine. Okay. Since then, he was doing the guitar work. Um, yeah, Jack was on drums. Um, and then uh, Patrick O'Neill sat in and played bass or played uh, cello on uh, the first song, um, Wonderful Wonderland. Um, but there were arrangements of tunes that I'd like, uh, there were tunes I'd written. I had written for the most part for about a year, except for one song that I wrote on a whim because, for some reason, on August of 2018 was rough for everybody. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to go into the studio and do another intense emotional song, so I wrote a very funny, lighthearted song, and that turned out to be the favorite song of the group to play. Ah, oh, that's awesome. So <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just a four-song EP. We recorded in two different, two separate studio sessions. Um, the first one at their old studio, which was in a house that uh, they were living in. Um, when they were st- when Midnight Snack was sold together, that was their band for a bit, and then um, the other two sessions were recorded at Mike's studio, which is over by Harvest Records. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah, and they were you know tracked with uh, just instrumental. I was playing acoustic guitar. Zach was playing um, the electric, and then the electric bass and drums. And then we over tracked, overdubbed the um, or tracked the string parts later. Okay. And just doing all the arrangements. So I learned a lot from it. I heard a lot yeah. from that project. It was great. And then Sarah Marshall, who's a mastering engineer in New York, mastered it. Um, mixed it with Mike over the span of a few weeks. Going into the project, it was my first real project. It okay. was like my first real project. So I was like, I'm going to go over the top. You know, it's like, I'm going to conquer the moon. Right. Um, so I put all this thought into the arrangements and then the mixes. And it was pretty heavy on a lot of string parts. But yeah. I like it, though. It That's pretty good stuff. It was pretty low five, but it was really classically influenced, too. You can tell. But learned a lot from it. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then Peter Brownlee also did some of the tracking with him over at his studio. Okay. Um, he was a great um, sound engineer. He moved out to L.A. this past summer. Cool. Yeah. Um, Sounds like a lot of talented people working on one thing. That's that's really good to have yeah, that it was fun. core and then, group. And then it's like they're always working on stuff, and their production knowledge is amazing. Right. So um, they were the first people I really started playing with when I moved to town when I was busking because I had Carly in that group was the first band I really then invited me to play with them. Cool. Um, and that was in 2016, I think. Um. Yeah, so I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot from them. Um, and it's funny that now, like, uh, they have studios that we rehearse in and stuff. Right. And, um, a few years ago we were rehearsing in this, like, dilapidated house. <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, it's going all right, going all right. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, and then, like, we always kind of, like, help each other out with projects or just want to see each other, you know. It's like yeah. you, you live in a town and then you make connections with people. And you know it's just the roots grow it's mm-hmm. great, it's yeah, awesome, definitely um here I have a copy of it. Ah, that's great and the album art was by uh, this local artist oh, named thanks Chris, so much, man. Chris Lars way cool yeah it's um it's so strange i'm so used to um putting uh to making ends meet by just playing for people that when you have a tangible item. Right, it's sort of like, I, I sell this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they give me money and I give them CD. I don't get it.
2: I don't get it. Why can't I just
0: play for them? <laughs> <laughs> Why can't they just listen? Yeah. They listen? yeah. Well, thank
2: you, man. I appreciate um, that. Definitely gonna give that a listen. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that was it was released on Spotify, but there had and we had a EP release show, I think in February. Okay. When I released the first single, and then uh, I didn't even have the CD's brush or anything like that, but that's the only time that we've ever played the full thing with the full band in public. It was a fun night. It was a really, really fun night. Where did you do that? That was at the Sly Grog. Nice. Yeah, that was really cool. And it's nice, too, because we had like a classic... Like We had um, a friend, um, Jeremy, who was opening up for us, um, who hosts some of the music over at Alley Cat. Okay. Now, and then... um, Slide Rock was great, and then we had like Patrick came up on cello, and we played like the Handel Halverson Passacaglia for viol and violin range for cello and violin. Okay, so we had this classical acoustic breakdown in the middle of it. Oh, cool. Got really really quiet, and then we did that and did some looping. It was a fun night. It was a really good night. Um, but yeah, I finally got around to ordering the CDs and releasing this full thing. Like, yeah, in on in October. Okay, and I just was like, I'm terrible at releases. I like I like to create music. I don't like to, like, um, apply it to this very strict format. You know, it right. In a very strict way, because there's a good way to do that. Yeah. Right. But I'm. It's not the thing I'm very good at. Yeah. <laughs> good at. Um, that being said, it was a fun project, and then I ended up releasing a solo album before I released that. Okay. That I just went to the studio with and recorded some live lo- violin looping with Dennis purely instrumental, and that one was recorded for my niece because. I had a new niece come into the world, and...
0: Ah, oh, very exciting.
2: Yeah, it's baby music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like really simple loops. Yeah. Very, very quirky-sounding stuff. Harmonically very, very simple, but just some ideas I've been working on for a while, and that's on Spotify, too. That one's Oh, called, cool. That one's called uh, Chrysalis. Okay. Just an instrumental album, all looping violin. Again, very DIY. Yeah. You know, I like the vibe of, like, something not being polished. It's like... It's it's the same vibe when you listen to like uh, like live jazz recordings. Sure, and it's like they're just in the studio. Yeah, and videos. they're messing up and they just keep going. It's great. It's real. Yeah. And then you're like, it's never going to be that way again. Yeah. Like yeah. So I ended up doing that, and I didn't get that one pressed to CDs or anything. But um, yeah, and then I have a bunch of recordings. I just haven't released any of them. Yeah. Or mixed them. And I'm almost like a hoarder when it comes to recordings. I'm sure a lot of people think, are. Like, yeah,
0: I was going to say. I think a lot of
2: people can be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially this day and age when it's so easy to record yourself. Right. Um, But yeah, doing that, and then I have a bunch of jazz tunes I got to record at some point because every Saturday I have a jazz band that plays over at Chestnut. Oh, cool. And we write our own tunes for that. Nice. And that's a completely different style. That's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is that challenging for you, being such a different
2: style? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, but it, it helps. I mean, because after a while, it's all just music. Mm-hmm. It's all just music. The the things that people associate with, like, oh, it's jazz or it's rock, is usually, is oftentimes just the people who are playing it. Right. Um. It's it, no, you can never encapsulate like the spirit or the meaning of a song with the way it's categorized. You know, the way that we categorize everything is always secondary to what it actually is. Right. So it's it's music. And m- people might hear a tune and be like, oh, that's a jazz tune. You know, because it has a swing and it's a lot of 2-5-1s that has the characteristics of it. But if it's a good tune, it'll just be a good tune. Right. A good song is a good song. It doesn't right. matter who's playing it. Right. It, can stand its, it has its own clout, you know. It's like there are some songs that like an artist writes... Or a band writes, and no matter who covers it, it's impossible to ruin it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just good because it's a good music. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, hard. that's a very and that's a very simplified way of thinking about it. But um, but oftentimes the tunes I write for that, or that we write, or that we might write for that collectively, are written with the entire in mind of like, okay, so Ryan and Dan are going to be playing these instruments and it's for this specific event. Mm -hmm. I should write it this way. Mm -hmm. And, um, what's funny too is a lot of classical music was written like that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the symphonies were premiered in beer halls. People were just writing all these great works of like art, like sonatas and partitas and stuff for, for the weekend gig at the bar. Yeah. (laughs) Cause they were like, Oh, I got to fill like Schubert's being like, Oh, I got to fill four hours. Okay. (laughs) write a Quintet. Let's do it now. And then, like, not even thinking, or, like, Corelli, like, you know, writing a violin concerto, and then, like, not even thinking, oh, yeah, 300 years later, people are going to be studying it like the Bible. Right. He's probably just thinking, man, I got to I gotta pay my irrigation bill, <laughs> <laughs> and got to keep a roof over my head. Yeah. So, it, it's, it's funny like that, but, I mean, that's a fun tune, because it's just, it's nice to write music, and you have to write it by, I write all my music by hand. Okay. When I really like it. I mean... Yeah, writing it by hand, i got to get better at using software. But, of course, writing it on the loop first and just hearing it. And if the idea sticks and you can't visually see it, then you write it down and it's like, okay, there's some there's some truth to this that needs to come out. i got to pursue this a little bit more. And it's always a nice outlet to have other people who are real people playing the parts that you've written. Right. Because then you really get to see how it bounces off of other people and the potential for connections through that. Yeah. You know, because playing with a loop is great. But if you only play with a loop, you're not playing with anyone. Right. And that's that's dangerous too. Um
0: Yeah, it almost yeah. almost takes the soul out of playing with actual live other people. But Yeah,
2: literally. literally. Yeah. <laughs> literally, you know. Hopefully hopefully with all the with all the AI that's coming out now. I hope that it, it never gets so bad where it's like, have your own band. <laughs> you know, they'll play everything for you. Download your band. Download now. your band. Would you like a snarky bass player? Would you like a reserve bass player? Or would you like Alexa as your bass player? I'm taking Snarky. Snarky. Okay. I don't know what a Snarky bass player would say. I don't know either. I don't think I've ever met a Snarky bass player. I don't think you're allowed to be
0: a Snarky bass player. I think you have to be pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Calm and collected. Calm, collected. Mm, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think they, they perform the ritual where they remove that part of your personality when you <laughs> school, I think. I think that's part of... uh Just take out that or, it, part of your brain? The orientation. Yeah, yeah. it's a lobotomy. Well, they It's do the, pretty graphic. I think it comes out the nose, though. Really? Or maybe the eye. I don't know. Oh, wow. I don't know. Technology is advanced so i will have well. to look that up. Yeah. <laughs> but, um,
0: yeah, yeah. So... Cool. So we've... We've talked about a lot man. We're doing pretty good on time. I think we've run over just a bit. Is there anything um anything else you'd like to share um on the violin? Anything else that comes to mind quick that you want to play um before we wrap?
2: Yeah man. I know I mentioned First Chrysler earlier, but is it cool if I just play some Bach for you? Sure
0: dude. Right. That'd be great. Cool. Please do. And then after that we'll uh get ready to wrap up for today. beautiful man yeah thanks for sharing what was the name of that tune
2: i was a box second partita in uh d minor the minor allemand um it's so different playing in these studios yeah it's so dry and it's (laughs) like you're hearing yourself through these yeah and not through these cool yeah that's such a good piece man
0: yeah that was beautiful man thanks again for sharing And thanks for joining me today. Really enjoyed talking to you today. Um,
2: Thanks for having me. This has been awesome.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Really would love to have you back sometime and get to see some more stuff on the violin.
2: I'm down anytime.
0: Cool. Well, thank you for joining Breathing Room, everybody. This has been Episode 6 with Alex Travers. Um, Until next time, don't forget to breathe, and we will talk
1: to you soon.